This is a production of KMmedia.pro. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So come on over into our world. I know you'll like it, because on today's show... Today, we get to have a fascinating discussion with a very learned um, man. He's a, he's a um, um, physician. He's a uh, author. He's written the book, The Dreamer's Dance, A Thousand Days of COVID. And his name is Ravi Iyer. And we're going to be talking to him in just a second. But before we go there, I always have to go talk to my friend, Eric. How are you today, sir? Good afternoon. Happy Monday, Kevin. I'm doing fine. How are you? It's a great day in the neighborhood, and it's the weather's kind of nice. What kind of a week are we looking forward to? Well, it looks like we're going to, you know, get a little closer to fall here as we uh, see some cloudy uh, days with a little bit of light rain for the and through Wednesday. Then looks like some more sunshine uh, back on Thursday and Friday. So not too shabby. Well, cool, cool. It'll be it'll be fun for the week, and uh, I'm I'm really am impressed with you know September. You know, normally it's it gets stormy a little bit and and stuff. It's been very very nice this summer or this this September so far. Absolutely, yeah. I I think it's been perfect. You know, I got to tell you, we're we're going to be talking today with the author of the book, The Reaper's Dance, and it's about COVID and mm-hmm. all the things. He's a physician. He as uh, was um, in in charge of several hospitals. He worked with hospice for nine years, so he's very versed in what's going on. He also went to uh, Hunan, China, and uh, it's all in the book, The Reaper's Dance. And so, um, wow, this is Positive Talk Radio. Uh, he's got some really positive mes- messages that come out of it, although you might not think so, <laughs> given the name of the book and stuff. But right. I want everybody to hang with us because his message is really well worth being received. And I'm looking forward to talking to him. So, and what, as always, Eric, you're welcome to chime in whenever you'd like. So, right. Yeah. Um, this is timely stuff because COVID does seem to be unfortunately making a little bit of a, a comeback. It is. And there are people that are wearing their masks again, or mm-hmm. some of them are being mandated by, I know in, uh, in Metro bus land that they are being mandated to wear their masks again and stuff. And so we don't know what we don't know and we don't know what the future holds, but I think uh, uh, Dr. Ravi can help us uh, uh, learn a little bit more about that. And again, it's Ravi Iyer go and his book is the Reaper's dance. And let's go ahead and introduce him to our audience right now. Doctor, how are you today, sir? Oh, very well, Kevin and Eric. It's a pleasure to me be here with you guys this fine fall evening on my side. I believe it's three o'clock where you guys are. Yes, yeah, so we're just beginning of the early evening hours, and and it's, it is very nice here. So, and you are located in Virginia, aren't you? That's right. That's right. Uh, Beautiful Fairfax area. County, Fairfax County, Virginia. Yeah, very good. Now, are you still uh, in charge of the hospital and the uh, where where you practice? I'm still very much in practice. Uh, the Ayer Clinics uh, has three locations. We 
operate. And so, but we are a busy community practice. I stepped down during the COVID era, during 2020, uh, my burden of work at the clinic became so heavy that I actually stepped down from hospital duties and I uh, gave up my hospital activities because uh, during COVID, we were seeing as many as 80 to 100 patients a day. And uh, there was no way uh, that I could possibly manage both sides of the coin. So I focused entirely on community care and uh, uh, delivering care both at the clinic as well as uh, in house calls to patients who were with COVID but too, too sick to leave the house. So we would go and see them in the house. You know, we were told about COVID in kind of a little bit of drips and drabs, and we weren't right, really given a full picture of what was ahead of us until they got into it. But you were right in the middle of all of that. What was it like? Because you obviously saw this coming. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and it did it scare you? <laughs> like it would, it scare me. Um no, it didn't scare me, but I knew it was very dangerous. The, the reason it didn't scare me is, first of all, I was able to see it coming because I have a background in infectious disease, not virology, but uh, serious infectious disease, basically leprosy and tuberculosis. I did my doctoral work on that. So I have worked with uh, highly infectious bacteria, and I... I'm very comfortable working with organisms that can really get you sick. And I know how to handle them and be around them and how to be with them and keep myself safe. And, and uh, so, so when the first news started dripping down towards the end of February uh, and the beginning of March, uh, I knew immediately that this is uh, going to spread and it's going to spread differently than the previous viral uh, exposures we had. The previous exposures was the H1N1 flu epidemic that was there. And then in between, there was a little bit of scare with the Ebola, but not really, did really hit us. Uh, but just a few cases here and there in the US. But those viruses... Uh, were far less uh, virulent in terms of transmissibility than COVID. And I realized immediately that this is a fast moving, fast traveling. And the one, one interesting thing about COVID, which made it unique in its ability to spread was that it would infect somebody and then it would take about five to six days before the person would actually start showing symptoms. So, and, but during those first three to five days after being exposed to the virus, the person was spewing out virus. So essentially it was like it could hit below the radar, disseminate below the radar before it shows its face. So as a result, I knew right from the beginning that this is going to be a, a, a highly spreadable virus. There is a... Uh, there is a uh, uh, coefficient, there is a calculation that they call the R0 or R0. The R0 is a, is a value that indicates the number of people who are going to get sick 
from one person who gets infected. So if I get infected, how many more people are I going to infect before I finish the course of my disease? So the R not for COVID in the beginning period of uh, January, February, March, April, May was anywhere between 2.5 to as high as 6.5, depending on what set of data you looked at. That means about three to six people will get infected by me before I get rid of the disease myself. Either I die or I recover. But before I finish the course of my disease, I would have spread it to three to six people. That's a geometric spread that simply cannot be contained. So, so, so what you what you what you're saying then is that in that three to five days when you are um, asymptomatic but you are having disease and you're spreading it to other people, there could be as many as three to six other people that that happens to before they feel ill, who can go to three to six people that before they feel ill. So yeah. You, yeah, but, but it's not just on. It is not just in those first three to five days in the course of the disease. So for me, the course of the disease is two weeks. But definitely, you're right. The first five days, I am definitely below the radar. So I'm far more dangerous in terms of community spread during the first five days than once I start developing symptoms. So that's the sweet spot for a virus. A virus that has visions of global domination cannot be one of two things. One, it cannot be deadly lethal to everyone, in which case it kills you before it can spread. Two, it cannot make you sick too early because then the other people around you are going to know that you're sick and they're going to stay away from you and therefore the virus can't spread. So any virus with dreams of global domination cannot have these two features. And COVID had both these features. It could make you sick late and it would not kill all of you. So that is the problem. Just a a 3% mortality, 3% mortality as compared to some other coronaviruses. For example, MERS had a 40% mortality. Nipah, which is another coronavirus has a 75% mortality. Those viruses never spread much because people die faster than they can spread and they fall sick early. But COVID was unique in that sense. It hit the sweet spot for pandemic. And then over the course of the, and and educate me here because this is what I've heard and you, you obviously tell me, but in the course of the pandemic, it would change um over over time and in to a different that's a, that's a separate feature of a virus um you got to remember something the virus itself has no self-replicating property a virus basically takes over your uh, human cell and commandeers the cell's machinery to make more copies of itself and since the virus is using a human replication new uh, replication machinery the replica copies are not perfect so there are errors as they go along so each virus infects one cell and makes a billion copies of it if it makes one error every thousand copies you are having a million errors million 
copies of virus with errors. Now, most of these errors are fatal to the virus. The virus itself dies out because the error produced a defect that the vi- that is not uh, advantageous to the virus. But every now and then, it's like the roll of dice and craps. If you have unlimited amount of money and unlimited chances, sooner or later, you're going to hit the jackpot. So that is when you get a variant of an um, of error in the copying mechanism of the virus that produces a variant that has a multiplication advantage, a spreading advantage, or a virulence advantage. And that's how you get copy. So the best way to eliminate variants is to eliminate the number of people getting sick because each person getting sick is a virus generating machine. No, oh, brother. <laughs> that that makes it difficult for us to get better from it because it's continuing to evolve and change and, and with each in which each person that, that, that is that exactly that is the story for all viruses whether it's the flu virus or the covid covid just does this much faster that's all i gotta ask you because we went through a period in what was it um in 2020 and in march and in april and may and it was seemed like to me looking in from the outside it seemed like when I was watching CNN or I was watching the um, the governor of New York or or some of the other ones, it didn't they they said it was serious, but they didn't kind of give us anything that we could hold our hats on. And I know that you did this because you were going to people's houses that were sick and you had a whole group of people and you knew how to protect them from getting the virus and getting the disease. Why wasn't that? put out there a whole lot sooner uh, was it because of the lack of knowledge no so yesterday i saw on my linkedin channel i saw a wonderful snippet of colin powell answering um a white house fellows question and she asks colin powell uh, what is the most important factor in a leader and she barely finished the question and Colin Powell shoots back, says trust. And he says that when he was in um, infantry school, he had a sergeant who said, Lieutenant, you'll know you're a leader when people follow you, even if it is just for curiosity. And what he said was leaders are able to generate trust. And the way they do it is by putting themselves at risk and putting themselves on the front line and putting themselves accountable. During the pandemic in the US and also in other countries, almost very, very few publicly appointed leaders did that. It was left to common groups of people I'm not the only one. There were many such doctors like me and many civic-minded community leaders who came out in the pandemic and took care of their families, their neighbors, and they, they took the charge and faced it down. But the, the leader, the professional leaders of society during this period had an abysmal track record because they simply did not step up to the plate. They kept deflecting, humming, hawing, and uh, clutching at straws 
and pointing fingers rather than truly taking the charge and saying, hey, this is what we are going to do, this is what you're going to do, and this is how I'm going to do it. Nothing that worked during the pandemic was unknown to us at the beginning of the pandemic. We knew it. We knew how to, we didn't learn anything new to handle this virus. We just used ancient knowledge. But we had no coherent messaging and we had no one stepping up and saying, I will be responsible 100% from beginning to end. No one did that. That was the tragedy of, of global society, not just the U.S. Well, I suppose that when you're in that particular position, nobody wants to be the one that says, uh, hold on to your hat because we're in for a huge uh, pandemic that is going to cost a lot of lives. And nobody wants to be in that position, I suppose. But that's what was required of them, wasn't it? Yes. So just think about it. If any one of the leaders... See, you are, you are in it already. You're going to lose anywhere from 200,000 to, uh, to half a million lives. That's, go that's guaranteed. Everyone's go To go around saying, I don't want to create a panic is stupid. What you need to do, what you need to do is going to say that, hey, we are in a war. We, need to we, ne we are going to lose people, but I'm going to make sure that we don't lose them cheaply. I'm going to make sure that every life we save is meaningful. I'm going to make sure that every life we lose, we lose at great cost. I'm not just going to throw lives away. And this is how we are going to do it. That is what was needed. We need, we needed, you know, in, um, who is the person, the Teddy Roosevelt, who did the fireside chat? Yes. You know, yes. And that was at one of the darkest moments of, of, of history. And he brought the country out, and he was a he was a paraplegic in a in a wheelchair. So don't you know it has nothing to do with your physical ability. It has to do with your moral fiber, your moral standing, your ability to look stare death in the face and make death flinch. That is it. Yeah, and the president that you're talking about is Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and it was during World War II that he Sorry, had the fireside yeah. traps. And, yeah. and it was designed to give comfort and also information to the American people about what was going to be expected of them, such as gas rationing. Uh, they're going to take the copper yes. out of the pennies. They're going to do all, you know, women are going to have to go to work and be Rosie the Riveter to, because the guys are going to go off to war. And he presented that in a way that, that we were all in it together and it was exactly so that kind of messaging was what was needed now this was world war ii this the, instead we had none of that so that was the enormous uh, tragedy where we lost in this pandemic was right here at our leaders we didn't lose because of the the virus we lost our moral fiber and that was something that we really really need to every i th i believe every american i don't care which side which color you are or in your of the aisle i don't care if you are american you need to really look hard into your soul and say what did i do how can i 
be of use to my fellow man. This is what is needed. Not, you know, arguing about ivermectin and chloroquine. That I mean, those were issues, but they were so inanely peripheral to the more fundamental question of who we are as a, as a nation. And, and be, mark my words, there's another, there'll be pandemics coming. You can't, you can't run or hide. The only way to face it is head on. So, so rather than doing what we did in this country, which was to have, I'll, I'll pick a, a, a fairly um, interesting topic, which was uh, wearing masks. Um, there was a segment of the society that said you should wear masks, and yet there was another one that said, I want my freedom. I don't want to have to do that. But there was nobody that stood up as a leader and said, this is how we all need to save each other and to be better for each other is to protect each other from each other. So masks are a piece of that. Am I correct in that? So, so here's the problem. The message that needed to be given is called infective burden. And that was never communicated. I'll give, I'll go back a little bit. In 2012, there was a mine in southern China, in the Yunnan province. It's a copper mine in the, next to the village of Tangguan. Six miners walked into that mine, descended to 150 feet depth, and began to harvest bat guano for fertilizer. They were working in, in unbelievably cramped, poor ventilation, surrounded by clouds of bat dust excreta, and they obvious and they were not wearing any uh, protection of any kind. They were not wearing even a bandana over them. All six of them fell deadly ill. Three of them died. That was 2012, and in 2013, April, a team of scientists from the Wuhan Institute of Virology went to the Tongguan mine and harvested nine viruses and published a paper in Nature in October 2013, six years before the pandemic, showing that these bats in the Tongguan mine, they, they published that they had found two strains of viruses. They actually found nine, but they published only about two. And both the strains already had ability to infect human uh, cells. And they were binding the ACE2 receptor. They then went on and did subsequent work on those viruses. But think about it. Those six people had to be working in unbelievable viral exposure loads to get sick. That means these viruses were not really infective. They had infectability, but they had to get a huge infection dose for it for the infection to grab hold of them. That's what happens in the pandemic for us. If you create a barrier of some kind, 
everyone started arguing about oh this mask is leaky there is air going from the side it's not perfectly protective but guess what it does reduce the total burden it increases the odds a little bit so just because a seat belt does not protect you at 150 mile per hour 100 frontal collision no matter what you're going to get killed even if you're wearing seat belts at 150 miles an hour does not mean that you will you will not wear the seat belt at all even when you're driving at 40 right so that's what i'm trying to say but there there needed to be someone who was competent who had credibility to say hey listen the masks are not 100% but they are better than nothing yeah and this is how you should do it so by arguing that masks are protective as if it's a fate completes 100% protection no there's no there's nothing in the world that is ever 100% so the idea of relative risk needed to be communicated in the in the messaging that was never done then to begin with they initially the administration was worried that they didn't have enough masks for the uh, first responders so they said masks are not required then suddenly three weeks later they said oh no 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 everyone should wear masks so they shot themselves in the foot in terms of their credibility so the american public is not stupid they know, hey wait a minute one day you're saying this another day you're saying that i think you i think you you're full of shit that's it yeah i know i understand but and um by the way we're talking with dr ravi ayer he's uh he's got the ayer um is it the ayer clinic or institute back in virginia it's just a clinic ayer clinic and he's written the book the reapers dance uh a thousand days of covid uh when we come back i want to talk to you about about rat poop <laughs> and uh you know why why that they were harvesting that to begin with in any way why was it a wonderful thing we also want to talk about um a better way of thinking for all of us to work together for the betterment of everybody and not be so divisive of one another again we're talking with uh, dr ravi we are going to be right back after these messages please stay with us you're listening to positive talk radio on kknw 1158 hey ptr loyal listener first thanks for being in my dream and second i have a new concept in business to share with you it's called social entrepreneurship so what's that Well, it's the idea that any company designates all profits beyond expenses to be awarded to a local or international charity or project which is working to achieve good in the world. KM Media is such a company. We believe that it's important for us to give back whenever possible and to make great things happen. So I hope you'll join us in creating this new business model that will positively impact all of us. In the next few weeks, we will lay out the plan and begin our fundraising effort. So, stay tuned for more details right here on Positive Talk Radio. When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is a naturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature. 
through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. Anaturaldesign.com at your fingertips today. Hey, thanks for listening to Positive Talk Radio. Did you know that we're also a media production company? Well, surprise, we are. We can create all kinds of audio, video products to fill any need. Please visit kmmedia.pro backslash our dash store for a complete list of products and services. In addition, do you need a great voice to add to your own website or any other project? I know that we can add depth and quality to your work. I've been told more times than I can count by many professionals in the business that my voice adds to the quality of the presentation. So let me create something for you. Please contact me at Kevin at KMmedia.pro and let's create something great. And welcome everybody back to Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald and we are talking with Dr. Robbie Iyer. He's written the book Reaper's Dance, which is a thousand days of COVID. And uh, Dr. Iyer, um, you had spent a great deal of time working with people over the last, those two years. And you've seen, you've also worked in hospice for uh, a long time. And so you've seen your share of, of the human experience and, and what at the at the end of life and, and that sort of thing that it, it must have been it must have been very difficult for you to see the numbers of patients that you were seeing and dealing with with the covid as it, as it was how did how did you and your staff survive that and did anyone have to seek counseling because of it um because of the num- sheer numbers that that were coming at you and then and then i want to ask you about uh rat poop or uh, uh bat poop but but first did you did your did your staff were you able to keep them all feeling okay even though they were being surrounded by such horrific circumstance i'm glad to say we were we were able to do that but we were scared uh, but we were scared, uh, we were worried, but we banded together and we cared for each other. Um, one, one of the things that uh, really inspired me during this uh, event was the immense amount of trust that my staff had in me and in my ability to keep them and their families safe. Um, one of my staff members had... Um, um, an elderly father and mother living with him. The father was actually a dialysis patient, a transplant patient, so he was immunocompromised. And here she was working side by side with me, treating extremely sick people. Um, so we had uh, policies in place to help make sure that we were each other's uh, uh, safeguard and safety net at all times. Uh, we had a buddy system, so every time we would go out to see a patient on the parking lot, there would be two people. One person is working with the patient, the other person is watching this person work with eagle eyes. Any slight slip, a little tear in the glove, um, an accidental touch to an infected swab, uh, immediately the 
the spotter would say, eh, eh, just wait a minute, you, you just contaminated yourself. And she would, she had a little spray gun and she'll spray a disinfectant on me. You know, and I, when she was doing it and I'm the spotter. So we had this buddy system where each one was the other person's net, safety net. And that really worked out well. Uh, the we were exhausted at the end of the day. We would I would uh, go home. I would uh, change in the garage. Then I would go down to the basement. And for those nine months, uh, from from March of 2020 till December 2020, when I got my first shot of the vaccine, I slept uh, separate from my wife. Mm. Um, I ate separate from my wife. Uh, uh, we would see each other for, from about 20 feet distance and waving to each other. That's it. Um, not, uh, not no in, interpersonal connection for that. So it was almost like a warrior monk kind of existence during those uh, nine months. Um, the, but, but the work itself was extremely satisfying. It was heart-rending when we lost patients. We lost about several uh, really uh, long-term patients of the practice uh, succumbed to the disease, but we saved a few. Uh, we got a few, uh, grabbed them, detected them, and and decided that they needed uh, intensive care. Uh, got them beds in the hospital when they when the hospital was uh, struggling to find uh, space. Uh, so we were able to save quite a few too. So all of that. Uh, and during this time, of course, we are surrounded by the negative conversation also that, hey, this is, uh, this is fake, uh, this, is, uh, this is not real, um, this is a conspiracy, the government is trying to take your rights away and whatever. I really did not have time or interest to even focus on that at that time. It doesn't matter to me, uh, uh, but but it was uh, it was some amount of noise that I had to filter out of our mindset before to keep uh, focused on the job. Um, it was most intense during the first part of the year. It became a little more uh, contentious as we got closer to November. But uh, but. I was able to keep the team focused on the job rather than get caught up in that side, the sideshow of the of life that was going on. And that was it really was quite a sideshow. It, it was it was it was really remarkable. But I wanted to ask you because um, you know the one thing I wanted to say: people yeah. don't know. Do you know that the number of Republicans who died? during 2020 exceeded the democrats at every level i've heard that i've heard that and yeah. the reason is they didn't believe it to be true that's so they true didn't take, they didn't take precautions that not and after the vaccine came the disparity in deaths increased because the republicans did not get vaccinated so the disparity increased. And there's a hardcore study from Yale about that. And it is tragic. It is, you think, 
you know, as far as I'm concerned, I just see human beings. I don't see Democrats and Republicans. I just say human beings. And that is what I wanted to bring. And that's why I wrote the book. The, see, what's happening in us is this us versus them mentality that is taking over the world. And what's happening is we are forgetting. We are becoming a bunch of identities rather than who we are. See, long before I am a man or a woman, long before I'm a husband, a wife, a father, I'm human first. Yes. You know, and that is what is being lost. The, the, we, we, are, we don't relate. We, I mean, we are, for the most part, we are relating to each other as a label. Um, you know, it's, it's no different than whether, what does it matter whether it is the, the cloth you wear is the color of your skin or the cloth you wear is a two-piece suit versus a tattered jeans? It is still a covering. It, it, it is covering the real you, which is human. And this is what people need to see. People need to see beyond the covering. And whether it is Martin Luther King talking about how people are unable to see beyond the color of skin and I talking about how we are unable to see beyond the labels, it is all a label. It is yeah. all an identity. And we really need to see beyond that if we are to survive as... See, the planet Earth will survive. The question is not whether the Earth will exist. The question is whether the human population will exist like the way we are. We have to make changes in order. I agree with you hundred percent. That's one of the that's one of the things about we talk about a lot on Positive Talk Radio is that we are all one. We're all human. We are all. We need to be supportive of each other and to help each other rather than um, live in hate, division, and fear. And we're fearful of the quote unquote other or the. Uh, people that don't look like us or maybe think like us or, or those things have got us, those, we have to get past that. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show and to talk about the Reaper's dance is that in the, in the book, you talk about that a great deal about how we need to work together to be one human family in order for us to get through some of these challenges that are coming at us from time to time, right? Yes. So the, the key here is to shift our idea of what it means to be getting the things that we want in life. See, the majority of people so far I have seen think of the things that they want in life as if it's in short supply. So they live what I call the not enough life. They live, oh, I don't have enough time, not enough love, not enough health, not enough wealth, not enough uh, success, not enough recognition, not enough. You know, it's always not enough. And even when the people are trying to improve themselves, self-improve, they are approaching that entire thing from the idea that where I am, I am deficient in certain skill sets. I am deficient in abilities. I need to do these X, Y, Z things to get to this new position. A not enough mentality is what drives the majority of human effort. Now, the not enough idea of life 
depends upon a particular worldview that is object-based. They think that the things they want in life is a concrete object that they'll acquire. If they don't get it, somebody else is going to get it or it'll decay or disappear or somehow not become available to them. So they got to grab it while the chance is there. So along with that not enough mentality comes the idea that time is finite for them and opportunities are finite for them. As long as you're approaching life from the idea that you don't have enough time and you will not get enough chances, you will never ever approach from a sense of fulfillment. You will always approach life from a sense of lack and that anxiety will produce a division and a separation between how it will, it will corrupt any attempt to embrace or bring people together. So the first thing that I push hard for is a shift in the idea that you actually, your resources and your life are external to you. See, people need to start understanding the idea of resourcefulness as opposed to being full of resources. When you are resourceful, then even a blade of grass will become a weapon. A resourceful person uses opportunity, uses circumstances towards his advantage. He, he pivots and every crisis is an opportunity for him. A resourceful person sees the world differently than a person who is resource hungry and wants to hoard resources. See, this is the difference which is the mindset of success or what I call the abundance mindset. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, say something. <laughs> I was just I was going to say that uh, I number one I, I agree with you 100%. How do you help people cuz this is all about helping people understand number one that there's a shift that they need that they would be better suited to make and how do you help them to understand and to make that shift into an abundance mindset? It's a process by which you recognize that you ultimately are the source of everything that comes to you. Exactly. And the and once and just because all right. So it's easier to say it than to actually experience it. But whether what comes to you comes quickly or comes slowly, you are the ultimate source of it. You manifest it. You work to produce it. And sometimes if the magnitude of what has to come into your life is large, then the corresponding amount of effort that you put to manifest it is large. But you still are the source. As long as you are always rooted in that idea, it does not matter whether time no longer has meaning once you're rooted in the idea that you are the source of everything. Because then you have infinite opportunity and time. All right, I didn't get it today. I'll get it tomorrow. I'll keep working. So automatically patience becomes easy for you. It becomes, you. it's easy for you to be patient 
it's easy for you to bide your time because there is no anxiety. You are the ultimate source. You are sitting on the thresher house yourself. So you don't need to go anywhere else. So if the lock didn't open today, it'll open tomorrow. After all, it's nobody else's lock. It's your lock and you hold the key. As long so, as you recognize that as an understanding. All the time. Yes. All you, the that, time. That you are the one that is generating all of your everything that is around you. And Yes. And if you generate, if you continue to generate it, even though things may not happen in the time that you might think that they should, they will still happen to you at the right time for you. Exactly. And whenever it happens is always the right time. See, that, that is another thing. So people who are unable to be grounded in that idea live a life of constant anxiety. So so there is a fundamental aspect of life that all human beings experience as unpredictability. And life is unpredictable. And the business of life is all of us sit and always try to figure out what's going to happen the next five minutes. It is this anticipatory attitude that is the basis of learning. And it exists in all animals, in all creatures, in humans or, or um, a predator. A tiger that cannot figure out where the deer is going to appear is going to go hungry. The deer that cannot figure out where the tiger is going to get, appear is going to get eaten. So, so the ability to predict what is likely to happen is a constant effort that is being done by all animals and all creatures. The biggest terror of the pandemic was the unpredictability that it brought. And that terrified people because they, nothing was sure for them. But the people who knew that their life and the objects in their life, the contents of their life, the resources of their life came out of themselves did not fear. They could walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fear because they truly felt resourceful. See, the Psalm of David is not an abstract thing, it's a state of being, and it's a state of being in of being grounded. And whether you say the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, but it is that I shall not want that comes out of resourcefulness. You cannot say, I shall not want until you realize that the Lord is your shepherd. And in this case, David is talking of the Lord, but it is the force in him that is the source of everything. And that is that is something that is coming back to, into our consciousness more now than it has been in the past, I, I think, because there are more people that are understanding that we're the generator. We are the creator of our existence and everything that happens within us. And if we work at those things and approach it from a positive viewpoint, those things will happen or they won't. But in either event, you're fine with it. Does that make sense? Exactly. And the best you can do is what you have at hand. And yes. the outcome is already given to you and you just take it when it comes. That's all. 
So this kind of rootedness, this kind of grounding brings you to an enormous state of surety. And then you literally have a lightness of being that allows you to dance through life and spit in the face of death. Well, you know, there, there is no other reason to be alive than to enjoy life. Yes. And, 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 to, and to really dance through it because, you know, we could spend our whole life wringing our hands and saying, oh, woe is me and this and that. But why? Why not enjoy every minute of it? And even when the experience is not necessarily what you would wish for, it's a learning tool. So as you continue to grow, you will learn through all of your experiences and become who you really are. That's At least that's my opinion. What do you think? There is no other way to describe it. That is it. You are going to have to live it anyway. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You're, or you're not. And either way, it's okay. Um, but but if you want to live. Yeah, but regardless, it's happening to you. <laughs> and, you know, and the fact of the matter is, is that if you treat your life like a, a grand play, a wonderful design, and even when it comes to the end, if you have done everything within your power to lead you to live your life to the best um possible outcome that you can then it's okay to let that go when it's time to go isn't it that's right that's right absolutely right you know and now you're you're a very young man so you've got what 40 or 50 years left to go so you know i i'm, I'm glad to I would be 105. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with being 105, doggone it. It's, uh, you know, by the way, we're talking with Dr. Ravi Iyer and Iyer. Yeah, correct. And he's written yes. the book, The Reaper's Dance, A Thousand Days of COVID. Um, I've been reading the reviews of the book, doctor, and it is, you know, it is real. It, it plays, it, it reads like a thriller. It's it's accurate um, as far as the scientific knowledge presented in it, but it also gives us a great deal of of hope um, of how we can manage these things in the future. Uh, at least that's the, in the uh, uh, reviews I read. Would you describe your book that way? Yes, it does end hopefully. Hope is the one thing that we all have to hold on to, even in the darkest of times. And uh, yes, I am hopeful. Uh, the book does reveal some of the darkness of human beings, uh, also the blindness and foolishness of us. Uh, we are tampering with uh, reality and nature in very dangerous ways, uh, which uh, I think we, sh I think people are are reassessing how they are going to approach it. Uh, there is a lot of uh, and. There is a lot of uh, stuff that I uncovered that made me feel that it is what we are doing right now with nature and uh, with exploring viruses in general is extremely dangerous for the rest of humanity. Uh, but I am definitely hopeful that uh, we will set in place the necessary guardrails to prevent us from having uh, accidental releases and and mishaps. Uh, this one cost us 25 million lives. So I don't think we can keep losing lives like that. That is a number. That That's a very sobering number. Uh, 25 million people worldwide. 
Um, and that, that is, that is something that we all need to work together to not debate each other, but to work together to solve this problem. And the, 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 um, the toll of COVID is bigger than the lives that died. Uh, in some ways, the lives that died were actually fortunate. Um, COVID uh, during the period of 2020 and 2021 disproportionately hit adults. So what happened was millions and millions of children lost their parents, um, either one or both of them. So millions of children were orphaned. And in the poorer parts of the world, that meant that millions of children were left destitute without financial support. And they were swept up and swallowed by the predation of human trafficking. So COVID, so during COVID, we had um, health insecurity, we had financial insecurity, we had physical insecurity, we had um, the uh, we had uh, uh, sexual insecurity. So, you know, I call these the four horsemen and they were all riding behind the fifth horseman of disease. So public health is not about public health. Public health policy is actually a set of actions and plans and strategies that preserve civilization's ability to exist and transact and be safe. Uh, public health is not about keeping people healthy. It's about keeping businesses open, businesses safe. It is about keeping trade routes open, trade lines open. It's about keeping the banking system and financial systems open. It is about, it's about keeping families intact it's about keeping children safe and successful in their education and in their growth. So that is what public health is. It is not about the number of people who got sick or died. Well, isn't it true that over time, in the next three, five, ten years, we're going to find unintended consequences of what COVID brought to us that we may not even see as an example, the, uh, um, the trafficking of children and, yeah. and the hunger. And, they, and we're going to see a lot of these things in the future. And will you come back and talk to me more about that? Because you're scaring me now, so we got to get, get positive again. Uh, so, by the way, we've been talking with um, Dr. Ravi Iyer, and uh, he's written the book, the reaper's dance please uh, go get that book you can get it anywhere at, at uh, amazon or anywhere else and you can go to his website which is uh, uh dr com, and you That's can right. find out all the information about him it's a pleasure having you sir and uh, thank you for stepping up and helping people um survive the pandemic and uh, provide us with a little bit of hope. I would love for you to come back because there's so much more to talk about. Will you do that? Oh, absolutely. I'd love to be here. Thank you're, you, Kevin. 
you're a wonderful man, and I want to thank you so much uh, for being here. And re remember, this is Wednesday at 4 o'clock. We'll be back at noon on Friday with KKNW. And by the way, remember something. Take care of each other because each other's all we got. We'll see you on Friday at noon. <laughs>